Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7 will be the bulk of what we're looking at this evening. We'll look into Luke 11 a little bit, but I'm going to read pretty lengthy passage, Matthew chapter 6. First of all, let's bow our heads for prayer, asking the Lord for his help in this time of the service. And kids, uh, again, ask, seek, and knock. There you go. Father in heaven, thank you for being so good. In the midst of trial, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of turmoil, you're good. A great cloud of witnesses testifies to your faithfulness. And we can look back at your faithfulness and confidently step into the blindness of the future, knowing that you're there. You're already there that you carry us in the midst of our burdens, hardships. Father, we're looking into your word this evening, into a subject that sometimes can be hard. I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, our minds, give that anointing that is needed to your servant. Uh, Father, I can't do this by myself. I need you. So I pray that you would touch us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 1. Take heed. Let me back up here and remind you, I haven't uh, said anything about it for several weeks, but tonight we're looking at spiritual disciplines of the disciple. Spiritual disciplines of the disciple. This passage has three disciplines, spiritual disciplines, that I want to see if you can find as I'm reading through it this evening. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before the before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men verily i say unto you they have their reward but when thou doest alms let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth that thine alms may be in secret and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly and when thou prayest Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use... Not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore 
like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. Can you imagine? Just try to picture this. It's a little humor here. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when you fast, anoint thine head and wash your face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Did you pick up the three spiritual disciplines of a disciple in this passage? The first one is when you give alms. The second one is when you pray. And the third one you're catching on is when you fast. When you do alms, when you pray, when you fast. In these first four verses of this chapter, we see that there is a specific thing that is translated here in the King James as alms. Maybe you think about alms as being that of the offering plate. The giving of an offering some point or at some time. But it's really more than just giving in an offering, though that is an easy thing. That's probably one of the easiest things to do. It's easier to give of our surplus than it is to get into the whole realm of what the alms is really speaking about. We're in the Lent season. Excuse me, is it Lent? Oh, my mind's messed up. Is it Lent? Yeah. Advent is what I was thinking I was crossing over to. But Lent season. Lent is the time when you give something up as a sacrifice. I've said it before. Maybe you remember hearing me say it. That far too often when we give something up or when somebody gives something up for Lent, it's an easy task. It's a, it's a simple thing. There's really, truly no sacrifice to it. 
Somebody would say, well, if I gave up coffee, it would be a sacrifice. It would only be a sacrifice in the sense that you're giving up a habit that may cause a headache or a little bit of a, of a, of a, a whole bunch of, a, what do they say? Don't even speak to me until I get my coffee. That's not really a sacrifice. It might be good for us, even outside of Lent, to give up something like that from time to time to bring our body under. Lent, or the giving up of something in the way even of alms, he's talking here of practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen of them. Righteousness goes more than just opening up our billfold and helping somebody out. Alms could be that we open up our life to help somebody out. We open up our our time to help somebody out. And he's saying that we do not and we should not sound a trumpet before us as we help somebody in need. So that your giving may be in secret, he says. And that's what he says about all three spiritual disciplines. That we do it in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret will give a reward. Now, the King James says he will reward openly. We have a context of that, usually thinking that God's going to reward us publicly in this life. But that open reward may not come until the rewards are handed out. giving of our alms a spiritual discipline the second one second and the third one is the one are the ones that i want us to focus the most on so let's move on quickly here to the second discipline and that is the discipline of prayer If you tried to pray beyond your norm Friday night and joining in with the prayer effort through the night, you know that prayer is a discipline. I so appreciated the uh, prayer guide. And if you took the time to read those verses and pray along with those uh, focused, uh, suggested focuses and and all that was involved with it, uh, it probably touched your heart as well. Prayer is a discipline. We find as we look in Matthew chapter number 7 that there is uh, revealed to us, that Jesus reveals to us, not only here but in other passages as well, he reveals to us that in the spiritual discipline of prayer is the principle of persistence. Chapter 7 of Matthew, verse number 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. There we go. What is he saying? He's telling us that there is a daily persistence in prayer that he's recommending, that he's suggesting, that he is asking for. 
that he's telling us about in the way of a spiritual discipline, the principle of persistence, asking, seeking, knocking, is a daily persistence. Go ahead. It's a daily persistence. It's a lifelong persistence. Mark this down in your mind. At least mark it down in your mind. God's heart is moved to answer when we pray. When you pray. When you seek Him, when you desire Him, and you hunger for Him, and you are persistent in prayer, not just, some, not just a mere passing wish for something, but a daily, lifelong pursuit of God, praying without ceasing is what Paul told the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, pray without ceasing. He's telling us in this passage very clearly, very, very succinctly that we are to ask and seek and knock. A half-hearted petition or a half-hearted request is powerless. Powerless. Now the word ask, as Jesus tells us here in this passage, the word ask provides a picture to us, for us, of some level of not knowing. Not knowing. I need to ask him for something. I don't know about it. I don't understand. I can't comprehend. There's, a, there's some measure of ignorance in the matter, and so I have to ask him. And I'm asking you, Lord, I need you to answer this need. The word seek provides us a picture of something that is lost. There's a lostness to the matter. He gives us the story about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. There's something that is lost. And every one of those stories, the person involved went seeking for, and except for the story of the lost person. And we find that God went into that person's mind himself and, and brought him back by way of the memories of his youth. The lost sheep, somebody went out. The, the shepherd went out. There's a seeking that is involved, and I'm, and, I, and I'm needing something. I've lost something. I can't find something. And, Lord, I'm seeking you for this thing that is lost. But then we also come to that word knock. The word knock provides a picture of some kind of a resistance. Why does somebody knock? Because the doors close. I'm hearing you knock. I'm hearing you. Go ahead. They knock because the door is closed. Now, this isn't in my notes, but let me just, let's just let me slow down a bit here. Have you ever come up to a closed door and you turned and walked away because it was closed? Oh, God doesn't want me going there because it's closed. I've thought of Reverend Doyle Sharp a number of times over my years of ministry. I pastored him in Evansville. 
short fella. I don't know. He didn't stand very tall, but he'd get blessed. I think I've told you about him before. He'd get blessed and start shouting and praising God, and his teeth would come out, and he'd catch them. He didn't wait for a door to be opened. He kicked the door open oftentimes. Or at least he would try the doorknob. He didn't just walk away when the door was closed. You see, what he's given us the picture here is of some kind of a resistance that the door is closed, but he said, I want you to knock. I can't get through. I'm going to knock. I can't see the other side, but I'm going to knock. I am blocked, so I'm going to knock at your door, Lord. I need you. I need you to open to me. Now, you've heard the preachers preach about this a number of times, I'm sure, in your years. But for the sake of the younger ears that are here and may not have heard it before, let me say it. That the context... The depths of the story here are not just simply a one-time ask, a one-time seek, and a one-time knock, but it's a continual asking, seeking, and knocking. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. It's not a place or a time to stop when we find some kind of a resistance. Luke chapter 11 Luke chapter 11, verse number 8, gives us another portion here, another idea here. You know the story about this uh, that that unfolds here in chapter 11 of Luke. Verse number 8 says, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Do you remember that story now? But if you don't remember it, let me go back. Verse number 5, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine is in his journey, is coming to me, and I have nothing to set before him. He is within. He, he from within shall answer and say, don't trouble me. The door's shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. We don't understand that. But if we could add a little bit of emotion to it that maybe you do understand is when that person comes and they're honking the horn outside of the house and everybody's in bed, don't you dare wake my child up. I just got them to sleep. Can you, can you feel a little bit of emotion in here with this particular story? There, this is an offensive time to this person. Don't be bothering us. But verse number eight tells us that though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, because of his persistence, in knocking. And so Jesus goes on there to say, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. 
Oh, he wasn't going to rise, was he? He was not going to get up. But because, what is Jesus teaching us there? He's teaching us there that we should have shameless, bold persistence. Shameless, bold persistence. Somebody said that the sovereign hand of God tells us, there are things that I will do or will not do, and they are going to be limited to the prayers of God's people. We may not have a hard time getting a hold of that, wrapping our brain around that. There are some things the sovereign hand of God, the sovereign hand of God says, there are things that I will do or I will not do, and they are going to be limited to the prayers of God's people. In other words, dependent upon persistence. Dependent upon persistence. Luke chapter 18, let me jump over there real quick. Luke chapter number 18 and verse number 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. Can't just jump into that story like that, can we? We got to go and do a little bit of research and understand it a little more clearly. So let's go back to verse number 2. There was in a city a judge. He didn't fear God. He didn't regard man. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. What does he say in verse number 4 with our kind of emotion and thoughts? Pathos. What does he say? He said, Woman, get out of here. I don't care about you. I don't care about God. I don't care about you. Get out of here. Leave me alone. Is that too strong a language? He would not. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Is your Bible open? What does the next verse begin with? Jesus speaking said, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now, here's the statement from, the, from this morning, and I'm going to say it a couple of times yet tonight. But if I don't experience what it seems to be saying in the Bible, the Bible is still truth. Well, you know, I'm having a hard time here uh, reconciling this, these verses and, the, and these ideas and this thought against my own personal experience. Well... If I don't experience what it seems to be saying in the Bible, the Bible is still true. It's truth. 
So what is it that we need to be working on? What is it that we need to be looking at? Well, here is what we need to be looking at in the context of prayer, in the context of the disciplines of spiritual life, of being a disciple, and that is the Word of God should be shaping me. It should be forming me, not me shaping the Word of God to fit my experience. Scripture is very clear that we are not to be conformed, we are not to follow after the patterns of this world, but that we are all to allow the Word of God, the Word of God, to renew our mind. <coughs> and in the renewal of the mind, it's shaping my thoughts. In the renewal of the mind, it's forming my life. Forming my life. Spiritual disciplines of the disciple, that of giving alms and that of praying. Let's look at number three, fasting. Now, if we were to be transparent this evening publicly, we might be surprised at how often we uh, get lost in this discipline of fasting. How long, how long has it been, if ever, since you've made it a regular habit to fast? Uh, now, now, don't misunderstand me tonight. Do not misunderstand me tonight. <clears throat> I'm not being critical of anyone. I'm simply trying to give to us what the Scripture gives us in three spiritual disciplines of being a disciple, and I just have to look at this. It's a part of the disciplines. Fasting. No. Fasting is not holding your breath in an effort to get God's attention. Do you hear that? That's the kid in Walmart, and he needs a switch, or she. Or the screaming and yelling. Fasting is not holding your breath in an effort to get God's attention. Mark this down in your mind. You have God's attention already. You have God's attention already, all the time. You can't get away from God's attention. I can't get away from God's attention. He has, or we have, our attention. Excuse me, did I say that right? I'm getting a little befuddled here. He knows where we are. We have His attention all the time. Fasting is not about impressing God with an effort to get Him to give me something cool or something that I want. Are you catching that? 
I said we often get lost in the realm of the discipline of fasting. We think that it is in some way an effort to get his attention. In some way, it's an effort to impress him. That's not what fasting is about. Fasting is self-denial for a spiritual purpose. It is, hear this one, it is turning down the volume of the world, and the world's loud. There's something else that may be just as loud. Fasting is turning down the volume of the world and also turning down the volume of our own distractions so that we may experience the work of God and hear the voice of God more clearly. Wasn't there an Old Testament character that heard the still, small voice? I wonder sometimes if that still small voice was speaking while the thunder was rolling and the, and the, and the rocks were rumbling with the earthquake and, and the wind was blowing. But it was when all of that was said and done, that's when he heard the still small voice. Because that's the essence of what I'm saying here tonight. It's in the midst of all the ruckus of the world and our own distractions ourselves. We have to turn down the volume of self and, and bring us into a place of self-denial so that we can hear his voice more clearly. You see, there's just an awful lot of noise around us. And if the noise of the world wasn't bad enough, we must also realize that our very own distractions scream loudly too. You say, preacher, what are, what are the distractions that I have? Well, I don't know what your distractions are, but it could be work. It could be materialism. It could be entertainment. It could be social media. It could be a hobby. Our legislature in the state of Indiana was supposed to be voting this past week on a, on a season for bobcats. Now, I'm all in favor of that, and I began to post it on Facebook. I wanted everybody in our county to know about it. I wanted everybody in our state to know about it so that they could call. And the Lord stopped me and said, you don't, you don't spread a whole, much, a whole bunch of other stuff that is more important than bobcats. You leave this alone and the noise that goes with it. Some of you I talk to personally, but just a few of you. Maybe he was speaking to me in preparation for this. Our hobbies. We can become so engrossed in our hobbies and the loud voice of our hobbies that we are not able to hear the voice of God. Am I being too hard tonight? Is God being too hard tonight? The principle of persistence. The principle of persistence. Then we also have to see the principle of promise. You say, well, what is the principle of promise? Well, if we go to back, back to Matthew chapter 7... And look at this passage again. Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I'll do it for you. 
For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. The principle of promise. Did you hear the principle of promise? The principle of persistence is there. We understand that, I'm sure. But do we grasp the principle of promise? The English Standard says this, For everyone who asks receives. Excuse me, did, you, did I read that right? And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, if you don't like the English Standard Translation, the English Standard Version, then look it up in your preferred, preferred translation and see if it's any different. I think it's probably the same. And if it's not the same, you probably need to get rid of that translation. Because it indicates here that everyone that asks receives, everyone that seeks finds, everyone that knocks, the doors open. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, let's be careful with this. This is not a name it and claim it doctrine. This is not teaching us that we can take our wants and our wishes or our desires and stand up with a proclamation that God is going to give it to me this year. I'm declaring it and I'm expecting it. That's not what he's saying. Not only do we have to be careful with it on that extreme, but we have to be careful with it on the other extreme, that we don't argue it away and we, we water it down and, and we switch things around and explain it away in our effort to fit our own experience into the meaning of the Scriptures. We can go so far in that that we don't have anything left of the promises that God has given us, that Christ himself provides in this principle of persistence. Now, I may be speaking to somebody here tonight, not trying to be hard on anybody, but it's possible that you, somebody, has already slowly been drawn in the, into the lethargy of the mind that this is the way it is and it will always be this way. And the quietness of that persistence becomes the focus. Pulling away from daily persistence. The lifelong persistence of asking and keep on asking, of seek and keep on seeking, and knock and keep on knocking. The weariness, the complacency is settling into your praying and into your mind and even into your soul. What about the promise? What about the promise that he gives us here? Mark this down in your mind again. Mark this down in your mind. Mark it in your mind. Highlight it some way. I'm talking about the principle of persistence, the principle of the promise. No prayer prayed to the Lord 
goes unanswered. Now, somebody may be saying, really? Look at what Jesus said. If you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. If you knock, it'll be opened. That's what he said. And if you, if I know the prayer answering God, then we have the confidence that when we pray, every time God works. We like that cliche. I I hear it here. I hear it and read it in other places. God's at work. God's at work. God's at work. And sometimes we base that on something that we see, something that we understand, something that is taking place. But the reality of it is, if you and I know that God that answers prayer, every time I pray, every time you pray, God is at work. I said that we can have confidence that when we pray, God, every time, God is at work. God works. When I asked God to give me a a turnkey hunting property, I didn't get it. What is it that you've asked for along that facetious line of thinking? Crazy thoughts. I'm going to name it and claim it. It's not saying that he works the way that I think he should work or that I want him to work or that my base desires want him to work. What I'm saying, and I believe the scripture is saying, he works every time we pray to him for needs, for real things. It's not a claim or a name it and claim it. You know something, when we are seeking God in prayer, He's moving. He's moving. You and I can count on it that when we are seeking God in prayer, He is moving. I'm told that John Piper says that there's seven things of promise in these words He will give it you, you will find it, it'll be open to you, the asker receives, the seeker finds, the knocker gets an open door, your Father will give you good things. John Piper simplifies it pretty much the same way, doesn't he? Persistence in prayer, and we have the, the uh, principle of promise. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence... On my iPad here, I did bold print for the word confidence, and I increased the font by several numbers so that it stands here and looks at me off of this page. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. That's the Bible. That's not me, that's the Bible. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now that's the King James translation. You can look it up in the translation of your choice, and I'm going to say, I'm gonna, I, I just have a feeling that it's going to say the same thing. And maybe different wording, but 
It's going to say the same thing. Confidence. Principle of persistence. The principle of promise. Knowing that the God who is faithful in 2023 or was faithful in 2023 He was faithful in 2003. He was faithful in 1903. He was faithful in 1803. He was faithful in 1703. We can go all the way back and say and realize that he was faithful in 33. Now I'm guessing saying that, that Jesus died and rose again in 33. It could have been in, you know, other, however they work the calendar. As we look into the past, though, however far back you want to look, the witnesses, the, the cloud of witnesses testify to his faithfulness, and we can have confidence as we look into the past and see his faithfulness, and we can have confidence to step into the future, even though we may be stepping backwards or we may be stepping blindly. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but because he holds tomorrow. And so then as you and I review the past and we see his faithfulness, we can have confidence. We can, with confidence, step into the unknown of the future because we can trust him. The spiritual disciplines of the disciple or the follower of Christ, giving of alms, praying and fasting. What is the point of the entirety of the message tonight other than being a disciple? The point of the entire message tonight is that we will be men and women of prayer. I want to touch just very briefly, even though the demoniac of Gadara will rush out at you or me or us when we step into what he thinks is his territory in prayer, you remember that? They come rushing after Jesus. There may be spiritual adversity. There may be physical adversity. There may be mental or emotional adversity. But persistently petition and personally plead for a return in his promise. The demoniac of Gadara just very well could step out and try to scare us away, scare you away. But what is that that I said? Persistently petition and personally plead for a return in his promise. Oh God, make us men and women of prayer. That is our source of strength. That is our source of guidance. That is what will carry us into the future as we seek him. And follow him. Let's stand together. Maybe I should have made that a two-part one. Sorry about that time-wise, but. I wondered why I went through three fishermen's friends.
Oh, that God would make us men and women of prayer. Let's seek him. Let's seek him. Let's be faithful to him. Troy, would you dismiss us with prayer tonight?